Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soul Survivor Podcast. We are back for another week of the offseason, and we are switching gears a bit this week where we're having no more casting. Well, we're possibly in the future casting drafts, but this week, not a casting draft. I know we've done that the last four weeks. We will be doing a special episode tonight, Survivor Hot Takes. You, you excited for this, Ryan? I mean, we, we've been talking about this idea for weeks, and now we finally get to put it into motion. Listen, ever since Hef's ludicrous claim that Brad deserved to win over Sarah, I wanted to go have a hot takes podcast, see if our takes are lukewarm, hot, cold, whatever they are. And I just want to see if we would win fire making or have our torches snuffed. Let's do this. <laughs> and ironically, Hef is the one who's not here tonight. I know. Um, had, a, had an obligation that he couldn't make it, but this is still a great, and I, great idea for a podcast. So he wanted to do it anyway. Um, and I don't even want to rule out having a second hot takes podcast somewhere down the line as well. Um, but yeah, how it's going to work is I will be sharing five of my hot takes. Ryan will be sharing five of his hot takes, and then we will go into the audience and the fans and what you guys, your hot takes are, uh, as you could see, as you saw on Twitter this week, um, we were tweeting out promoting this podcast and we had a ton of great responses with hot takes that I'm excited to share and debate. And I'm sure that once the live comments start coming in, we'll have a ton more hot takes to go. So really excited about that. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I think that the casting drafts are fun. I love doing them, but I feel like at some point you just got to change it up and see what else we could talk about in this off season, especially with current news from, you know, inside survivor and whatnot, that filming might be delayed even further now in the fall. So looking at a potentially longer off season. So you got to talk about a lot of different things. And I feel like right now we're heading into the summer. So it's time for some hot takes. Yeah. And uh, what refine, what Ryan is referring to, if you guys did not see inside survivor did report that Fiji changed the guidelines and it looks like that survivor will not be shooting until, until September. So whether that means that the, debut of the season the premiere of the season will not be until late october or even till the spring we don't really know um obviously these everything's changing really quickly like you know things could change and they could say you know what you guys come in august instead we don't really know um but yeah we'll you know keep everyone updated with that and we'll adjust our schedule accordingly but i'm excited to get into the hot takes right now i'm ready let's do it i'll, I'll give you the honors you go with the first hot take okay um all right, so you know what? I'm going to go with one that I actually did, I did some research on. I wanted to pull up the, some stats and some numbers on. And I actually, when I was making this hot take, I'm going to combine actually one that I had and one that I saw on Twitter because they both go with the final tribal council. So my first hot take is a survivor final two is better than a survivor final three. And I'm going to lump that in with um, Lexi at Lexi Shea underscore on Twitter saying the original jury speeches and thrashings are better than the current open forum. So basically my first hot take is final twos are better and the old jury formats better. So just by the numbers, Dylan, I'm just going to point out to you that Jeff loves final threes. He thinks they're more interesting. I feel like the players like final threes because you have more of a percentage chance to get there, but it's not as good. It basically kind of eliminates what Survivor is all about where you keep voting people out until there's only two people standing. I just think final twos are more compelling and they feel more natural because the whole point of the game is to vote people out until that last point. And then especially if you're looking at a point like in token chains um, where JT has to choose between Steven or Aaron, basically that is a lot more compelling than sometimes where in these fire making challenges, you have to drag a goat with you to the end. And then you have two people battling it out. And honestly, like I said, by the numbers, 
out of 40 seasons, Dylan, we've only had 15 final twos and 25 final threes. So 62% have been final threes and 37% have been final twos. Would you believe me if I told you that out of all 25 of those final threes, only five times has all the players gotten a vote? Every other time, 20 times, the third place person has gotten zero votes. And I feel like I don't like final twos because they're predictable and boring. It's going to be between Tommy and Dean, Sarah and Brad. Like I know it's going to come down to them and the third place person may as well just join the jury because they don't really matter in the jury's eyes. I feel like the numbers just prove that the person in at third place is even like Michelle this past season, you're not going to get votes. So I feel like they should go back to final two. Uh, before I get to the second part of that first take, what are your thoughts on that? Wow. That's, that's, I'm like stunned still that that's an incredible stat. Can you, can you say that again, just in case any of the viewers missed it? At yeah. How so, many tribal councils was it that it was that there was a zero vote finalists in a final three? Yeah. So 40 seasons, 15 of those final twos, 25 are final threes. And out of those 25, only five times have all three people gotten like at least one vote. The other 20 times someone's been shut out. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty compelling argument. You know, I never thought of that. Um, I mean, I've never really thought what I prefer final two or final three for me is just like, whatever it is, it is, it's been final three. It's been final three. If we get a zero vote, we get a zero vote. But if you're going to get a zero vote, uh, 75% of the time or whatever it was, uh, I believe you said out of the, what do you say? It was out of the 25. No, it's more 80% of the time. You said 20 out of 25. It was. Yeah. 20 out of 25. Like somebody's gotten zero votes in the final three. Right. So yeah, that, wow. So that's 80% of the time that there's a zero vote finalists in a final three. That's incredible. And so this I, is, oh, I, yeah. was just, I was just gonna say, and this is compacted by the fact that now we have the fire making twist where you bring somebody with you as a goat. They're even less likely to get votes now because the jury's not going to respect them for getting dragged to the end. So you're even more compounding this argument. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay with the final two. Um, especially if they're, if we're going to keep having zero vote, zero vote, uh, third place finalists. Like I, I, I'm fine with it. Final two. Mm-hmm. Now I actually want to touch on what you did, what you, what the, what, uh, the, the fan take was on Twitter is that they should go back to their old jury format and not yeah. the new one. Um, I do like that only because in newer jury formats, for example, you see a guy like Tyson who just doesn't say anything the entire time because he doesn't have to. I think I would like to hear everybody's take. You know what I mean? Like I just, I think as a viewer, it's good to hear. Cause now you're thinking like, well, why is Tyson voting for Natalie? Like what, what's going through his thought process? You don't know. Cause he just sat there the entire time with silence. So at first I liked the newer format cause I thought it was a nice change, but now that I'm, I know I'm rewatching some older seasons and I, I think I do like the original format better, but this all leads me to my first take. And then I'll give you your chance to say what I, to respond to what I just said. My first take was that I really, really like the final four fire making challenge. Mm. And I know that that's a hot take because I've heard that a lot of people dislike it, but you know, just I'll give you a chance to respond to all that. What I just said. Yeah. Just to get to your first hot take. I do think in the overall community that is considered very controversial. I feel like, I mean, obviously it was very controversial in um, Triple H because the contestants didn't know it was coming. And that was just completely unfair to Chrissy. We've covered that a lot of times. The players, if you're playing a game, whether it's Survivor, whether it's football, like you need to know the rules before you step onto the field. Like that's just common sports courtesy. Um, 
But obviously then from then on, the contestants all knew that fire making would be at the end. I, it's interesting. I see your point though. It is controversial, but it does allow us to get people who are the fallen angels, like a David Wright, a Kelly Wentworth. It gives them a chance to get to the end. But I feel like, you know, it defeats again that core purpose of Survivor where your purpose is to vote people out. And if you get voted out because you're a big threat, you could have managed your threat level a little bit better. I know Adam Klein says that all the time. So I feel like it gives those people a chance to get there. But, you know, and maybe if you were playing the best game, you shouldn't be being perceived as playing the best game until you get to the jury and you showcase what you were able to do. I just feel like it still breaks the game a little bit. And it's still, again, to my first point, leads us to those moments where someone gets dragged to the end. But I do see why it could be obviously exciting TV. I know first and foremost, this is a TV show. Um, and yeah, just to go back to the first take that I had that Lexi mentioned on Twitter about they find uh, the jury speeches being better like in the past. I agree with you, said I'm not going to echo it again. Just the fact that um, it provided better TV moments. They were more memorable. It felt like the game was very raw and very human. It had like more weight to it. And now, and don't get me wrong, especially since coach couldn't really own his game in South Pacific. I'm glad that now the players have a forum to at least say, what did you do in the outwit portion, the outplay portion, the outlast portion, they at least can explain their game. So I respect that. But I just don't think it makes for as compelling human moments. But that's just me. Yeah. So going back to the final four fire making. So I know that I knew that the counter argument and what many people say is that if you could not manage your threat level, then you may not deserve to be there. Well, my counter argument to that um, and why I think that's a little ridiculous is because I think you can only manage your threat level to a point. Like there's nowhere to hide when you're at final four, final five. Like you just, you lose the ability to hide from others. Like you can't really use, you can't use meat shields anymore. Like you can't, you can't do that. So I wanted to just, so if we, if we go through every season here that they've had final four fire making and we yeah. talk about the results. So first we had season 35, uh, heroes, healers, and hustlers where we have Ben, who beats Devin, right? In fire making, yes. Yes, right. So Ben Ben beats Devin and Ben ends up winning the game. He would have been easily voted out had there not been the twist. I think that fire making might have got off to a bad uh, it might have got off to a bad start with the fans just cuz people did not know it was coming. Like you said if people knew that that was coming beforehand, maybe it would have been a little bit better just cuz the players would have been able to adjust. Fine. And I, and I also think that the reason why it was controversial that season is because I don't know if Ben played that much of a better game than Chrissy or Devin to the point where it was like, all right, he deserves to win. So it's fine that he got another shot. Like it wasn't like that. They were all pretty close. Then we move to the next season where the fire making challenge winner again wins, where we have Wendell who beats Angela in fire making and ends up winning the game. Now that is a that is a place where I thought that it was completely fair. Like I, I understand. Like, look, if there was no fire making, Dom ends up winning, and we're all fine with Dom winning anyway. But it gave Wendell a chance to, you know, just because. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people think that the strategy portion is the most important part of the game, and the physical portion is probably the least. the The outplay is the least important part of the three tier or three pillars of Survivor. So, in my opinion having ha- not having fire making it enhances that outplay portion way way too much i mean you're completely relying on that final tribal council and before i get into that a lot more i just want to finish going through each season so then we had yeah. season 37 where who who made fi- who made fire in season 37 so nick wins immunity takes angelina with him and makes mike and kara go to fire 
Okay. Um, yeah, I know. I know it's a lot. It, it was even a hot take. A lot of people think that Mike may have deserved to win. I personally think Nick was winning this season, no matter what. So I don't, I don't, that was not one that I think mattered that much. Um, season 30, season 38, we had obviously Chris choosing to make fire. So I think that another aspect is that as it, it, the fire making challenge adds is it adds another opportunity to enhance gameplay. Like you can enhance a re- your resume by choosing to make fire if you win immunity. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that because like what, like, you know, that's already the end of the game. Like what do you need to enhance your resume? But I do like it as like a last ditch kind of effort thing. Um, and then season 39, we had fire making as Dean and Lauren. Is that who it was? Right. Yeah. And actually right. this is the anomaly in all of this because this is the only time out of the six fire makings that the person who got dragged, Tommy actually wins the game, which obviously is credit to Tommy's great social game. I'm not, I don't want to knock Tommy. But um, yeah, that's the only time where the person who doesn't even go into fire and gets dragged there ends up winning. So that's interesting. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I, yeah, I mean, like you said, Tommy's the perfect example of, I guess you could say he managed his threat level, right? He got dragged and he won, but I don't always think that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Now, what would we have said this season if, and again, season 40, let's just say Sarah beats Tony in fire making, Sarah wins the game. Nobody's really complaining because Sarah would have been a great winner regardless. She played a great game. In my opinion, easily the second best game out there. But how, like, why should Tony's amazing game come solely down to being able to catch balls? Like, I I don't, that's not something that I think, like, I don't like that. I really don't like that. And you can even go back in further seasons and think about, well, what if this player didn't win immunity? Then this is the final three we would have had. So let's go all the way back to season 22 which I know we're going to talk about later because my hot because one of my hot takes. But let's just say that for whatever reason, Rob did not win that final immunity challenge. I mean, you're looking at a final three with Ashley, Natalie, and Philip. I mean, how would people have thought of that season if, if let's say, Ashley ends up winning that, mm-hmm. kicks out Rob, votes out Rob, and then now you have that final three and probably Ashley ends up winning? Like, that's just that's such a weird weird vibe to a season. Now I know the edit would have been different and everything, but mm-hmm. I'm sure Rob will still would have gone the ridiculous edit, but like still um, like how would people have thought back to that season? Now, if you think back also, let, let me think. Uh, all right. And then season 31 also, why should, and by the way, season 31, Jeremy probably played a top, top 10 winning game ever. So completely fine that he won, but why should Kelly Wentworth's game come down to whether or not, she could catch a ball out of a thing. Like, I just, I just don't, I think that that's over, over stressing the physical aspect at the end of the game, where I think that at least if you screw up, if you have a bad day and you screw up the final immunity challenge, then you have another opportunity. And that's why I like final four fire making. I know that was a long winded answer, but I felt like it was necessary for me. No, it's fine. And I think that again, it all, I think you just presented the perfect argument that Jeff and the producers feel where that's exactly why we need that fire final four fire making because it allows for those players to not have to rely on one simple thing. And then the whole game is for nothing. But I think that's how some fans think, but then other fans are more purists and they think, well, you know, yeah, maybe you can't manage your threat level all the time, but if you had the right alliances getting up to that point, you would have been fine regardless. Or even like, 
I, and I agree with you. I know Hef is probably screaming at the, the screen right now, but I do think out of the three elements of the game, the physical aspect is the least important, the competitive a- aspect. But there is something to be said that you put, you're a great physical, you're a great social player, you're a great strategic player. And if you have a little bit of physicality, then you can get yourself to the end there. So I feel like it depends if you're more of a purist and you feel like it should just be raw voting out because that's what the game is down to, social dynamics. Or if you feel like, no, these players who played a great game should have their moment to get there. So it just comes down to how you basically perceive that end game. Yeah. I want to bring up another another season that I did not think that I did not think of on the spot, but I had it in the back of my mind. Season 26. If Cochran, I know Cochran had the advantage in the final immunity challenge, but if he mm-hmm. does not and loses, then we're looking at a final three of Eddie, Sherry, and Dawn. I mean, how would have people thought of season 22 and season 26 if that had happened? And those players who deserve to win didn't you know, either didn't win immunity and didn't have the chance to make fire to bolster their position. If you, you know, if you lose, if you lose once the immunity and then lose twice in fire, that's fine. Like you did, you lost twice and that's it. But I don't, I think it stresses physical as physical play a little bit too much when you have to win one challenge at the end. And again, you, you can't hide your threat level to, you can only hide your threat level to a certain point. Like Cochran did the perfect thing by going to the final three with final four with three other weak players. Like how much more do you want on the highest game? Like there's only a certain point you could go to do that. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's just ultimately my opinion there. And I, I think they need to keep that in the game. Plus, like you said, in the end, it makes for great TV. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that in the end, obviously, this is Jeff's show. Jeff is the host and the producer. I think he wants it to stay. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it going away. I personally still don't love it, but I'm not going to complain that it's probably here to stay for a while. If EOE was here for a while, I'd be complaining, but I, I'll hold my um, reservations for the um, fire making. All right. Back to you with the second hot take. Yeah, I had a different hot take I was going to say second, but I'll just go natural and segue from what you said. Uh, I actually had on here that I feel like Nick Wilson probably did not deserve to win David versus Goliath, and either Mike White should have won that season or the most deserving player didn't get to win that season. I feel like one underreported story that we hear all the time in interviews, whether someone is interviewing Davey or someone's interviewing Gabby or Christian, Nick was going to get Nick was going to be voted out at that first tribal council if Pat didn't get medevaced. I know some people can say, you know, that's armchair quarterback, and it's like kind of saying, well, you're changing the narrative a bit, but it's corroborated by a lot of people that Nick just was perceived because I think Pat, Jessica, Carl, B, and Davey had a solid group together, and they kind of felt like Nick wasn't really pulling his weight around camp, and I feel like they would have swayed Christian to their side, or maybe even Gabby or Elizabeth, and I feel like. If Pat doesn't get medevaced, Nick is likely the first boot. And we shouldn't knock Nick for that. Nick has d- done a great, did a good job at David versus Goliath after the fact. But I think if you look at the end game, I think Nick's pretty good in the latter half of the pre-merge and the early merge, obviously with some of the advantage plays, Nick does a good job. And I think Nick is a decent player. But if you look at the end game, Mike White is an amazing social player who is commanding a lot of those end game vote outs, um, especially when it comes to, um, cause once Gabby turns on Carl, he takes out Gabby, then Christian goes out, then Davey, Mike White is pulling the strings there. And unfortunately Nick is going to beat him there. But if he's there with Angelina, if it was a final two, for example, Mike White wins that. And I think even if Kara gets to the end, Kara's a great social player, but I don't even think she wins. I think Mike, Mike White still wins. 
And I, Nick, then this, I'll mention this later when we cover Sarah Lucina, but I credit a player to how control how much control you have in the game. Now I know Hef would argue, well, I like an underdog story. If you had to fight for it, like you have a great story, and I commend underdogs completely. But I think there's something to be said about having control, and even more having control and adapting to when things don't go your way. And Mike White basically controls those vote outs where Nick is left out of a couple of key vote outs. Nick is left out of the vote when it comes to Davey and he's left out of the vote when it comes to um, Christian as well. Um, and Mike doesn't even get a vote until the final five. So I feel like my hot take would be Nick shouldn't have won David versus Goliath. It should have been Mike White or even someone else. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the first hot, the first fan take that we had on Twitter was from Liam, Liam Andell, mm-hmm. um, the first tweet I sent out. Yep. I don't know if it's controversial, but give Mike Mike White the David versus Goliath win. So this is this is interesting that you bring this up. Um, I need to rewatch David versus Goliath because in in real time I don't. So obviously now that we that we're doing the podcast and stuff, I'm analyzing each vote a lot more than I used to. Mm-hmm. So I would need to go back and evaluate for me to judge and say that Mike White should have deserved it over Nick, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting point that you bring up that his social game was incredible. And maybe as a, you know, as a casual fan or as a super fan without a, a podcast, I should say, um, I maybe did not realize that where now is I'm digging a little bit deeper and we're doing this podcast. Maybe I would think otherwise. So I yeah. personally always thought Nick should have won, but I'm interesting. I, I'm interested to rewatch that season at some point and look at that again. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think David versus Goliath is an amazing season. It's one of those that will always be good on a rewatch. And I, I don't, again, not to go on a tangent, but I don't want to be tainted by Winners at War because I think I might, I might be coloring my opinion of Nick based on how he performed in Winners at War when I should just be looking at his win in the moment. But no, I just feel like I respect Mike's game a lot, especially since Mike is a, I don't want to say he, Mike's a celebrity, but Mike's a well-known figure like mike white is a producer and a direct director he's directed some things that you've heard before like school of rock and nacho libre emoji movie which is controversial but um basically mike white is a well-known person and the fact that he still did as well as he did is very impressive yeah yeah i know i i do agree and one thing i did want to point out is that winners at war may blur our opinion of nick a little bit but i do want to point out that tony did say that him and nick were pulling a lot of the strings strings pre-merge and he did say that nick you know they, they were just making him seem like he was butting into conversations but nick really did a lot of the good job good job on strategy mm-hmm. um and i believe that he said it was one thing about i think he said the kim vote out he gave a lot of credit to nick on that one yeah. and said that nick kind of pulled a lot of the strings made kim feel a lot safer stuff like that so look i think nick played a better game than a lot of people give him credit for so right i agree yeah all right so my next take. So this is another very controversial one. I'm a reader of Survivor Reddit. I read it every day, and I think that there I could probably count on one hand how many people actually agree with me on Survivor Reddit on this one. But I mentioned it before, so I'm going to say it now. Redemption Island, in my opinion, is not a bad season. And I know a lot of people rank it possibly one of the worst ever, bottom five. I personally thought it was extremely entertaining. And I think that on a broader note, it is entertaining to see a player dominate um, rather than just, I, I don't want to say rather, because it's, 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 it's extremely entertaining when you don't know who's going to win. But I think it's equally as entertaining when 
there was a completely dominant player, and that was Boston Robin that season. And I think that one world had a with Kim, one world had a worse cast. So regardless, I thought it was just less, less entertain, entertaining, despite being entertaining to watch her dominate. But I actually thought that it was a semi-entertaining cast with Redemption Island with what I thought was arguably the most dominant win ever by Boston Rob. You know, obviously Kim is Kim is also up there, which is why I mentioned her before. But when you think about that season in general, season 22, Redemption Island, you have Boston Rob obviously runs the whole game, wins easily at the end. You had so many, and I know people don't like it because of the gameplay, because it was just so simple and kind of predictable, but you can't fault Boston Rob for the people he was put in the game with. And there ended up being a lot of great characters that season, like the French, French, Francesca, Philip, Philip first vote out was hilarious. Matt going, coming back from Redemption Island. And then as Rob said, sends his ass back to Redemption. That was amazing. I think you got to see Andrea, who was a good player in a really, really in a tribe of really bad players. And eventually somebody that we got to see back multiple times. And then you had just Philip the rest of the game feuding with everybody else. I think it's pretty entertaining to watch Rob run circles around these people. And yeah, I get that they're not great players, but and I'm not saying I would rank it in the top half or anything, but for me, Redemption Island's an entertaining season. And I think that as somebody who's a huge Boston Rob fan like me, watching him dominate that is was extremely entertaining. So that's that's my hot take yeah. there. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but had to say it. That's a hot, yeah, that is a hot take. And here's the thing. I don't think I can ever change my tune on Redemption Island. I think I'm with the majority of the fan base <laughs> um, on Reddit where I, it's a bottom 10 season for me. I feel like when you look at a season, obviously you rank the winner, how they played, the cast itself, the location, the challenges, the twists, all that. And like I said a couple of weeks ago when we were still covering winners at war, if you have an Edge of Extinction or a Redemption Island in your season, it's already kind of a deduction of points because the whole premise of the game is to not get voted out so to have a gimmick where you can get back in the game still kind of ruins the integrity of the game and yeah i also i don't want to take anything away from boston rob obviously an amazing survivor player and he plays it very well like you mentioned he basically implements the buddy system which does work with new players not so much with veterans and winners but basically when you have a season where you don't swap tribes, the key element there is that you don't swap tribes in Redemption Island. When you don't swap tribes, it's a lot of us versus them mentality. And he feeds into that with the buddy system and with the numbers advantage. And then the minute Matt shows any sign of flipping, he votes him out and says to his tribe, that's a message. If you're going to flip, you're going to go. And he controls the game. So Boston Rob plays it well. The problem is, the level of play is so bad there, Dylan. Like the, these players do not know how to play the game. I would like to see the numbers of how many recruits were on Redemption Island versus actual fans. Cause I just don't think there were that many fans out there. I'll give you credit that Phillips entertaining and Francesca and Rob and Andrea, but Omatepe is fine. Zapatera is one of the most forgettable tribes ever. I mean, I remember them cause I'm crazy, but you have Julie, you have Steve, you have Krista, you have, Stephanie, you have Sarita. Like these are names that if you asked the common fans or even some of the big fans, not like super duper fans, they would probably couldn't even name all 10 members of Zapatera. It's just, it's a low level cast that he was playing against. And uh, you could easily make the argument that Russell would have maybe won if he was on Ometepe instead of Rob, instead of Russell, uh, instead of Rob. But, um, and listen, just to get to your other point where 
it's entertaining to see someone run circles. I think it's entertaining when you have good competitors. I think in sports, I, I think you would agree, you kind of play to the level of your competitors for the most part. Obviously, Rob pl plays leagues above these people, but you know that's why Cambodia is entertaining because Jeremy's playing well, Kelly's playing well, Spencer's playing well, and you don't know who's going to come out on top. Here's versus villains. Russell's playing well. Parvati's playing well. Sandra did decently half. Like basically when you have people who are all vying for the prize and you can't pinpoint a winner, it makes for a more entertaining season. I think that's why a lot of people, and I, I think Ghost Island had a decent cast, but Ghost Island is constantly ranked at the bottom because you knew the minute Chris Noble left, Dahmer Wendell was going to win. I think if you have a predictable ending, it doesn't make for an exciting end game. Yeah. I mean, I think all your, all your points are fair. I'm just saying from my point of view, mm -hmm. I thought it was a very entertaining season. Now, what I went, what I rank in the top half, absolutely not, but I think it gets a little bit more hate than deserved. So that is my hot take there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, again, I, I, I think that any season, if, especially if you want to be somebody who ranks them, you have to go back and watch rewatch them at least once. I feel like recency bias or, past memories can, can kind of color your perspective on a season. Maybe if I rewatched it, I would move it from like bottom five to maybe bottom 15 or 10. I would, I would maybe say, Oh, I can respect this part of the game or this, these were some great character moments, but I feel like, like you said, I, I can't ever see it in the top half, even maybe not even in the bottom 20, maybe bottom 15. So. All right. Onto your, onto your uh, third hot take. Okay. Third hot take. So we all love Micronesia. And I think Karamoan goes both ways. Some people like Karamoan, some people dislike Karamoan. I do not want to see fans versus favorites three. I'm fine with heroes versus villains two. I'm fine with second chance two. I am not a fan of half and half seasons. I, I mean, I, I don't think that's a hot take. I think that's kind of like lukewarm. Some people don't like mixed seasons, but I feel like if you hear Micronesia or fans versus favorites, people will jump at the chance to say, oh, I want 10 more of my favorites to come back. I feel like after Micronesia, CBS didn't didn't know how to cast fans or favorites. Because if you look at Micronesia, you have James, Ozzy, Amanda, Parvati, Fairplay, Eliza. You have people who are clear favorites in the Yao Man in the eyes of the of the community. Then the fans were actual fans. They were screaming and jumping when they saw these players. And you have people like yeah, obviously you have Eric like fangirling over Ozzy, and you have Kathy freaking out over Yao Man. Like these are actual fans of the game. And like Natalie Bolton and Eric before he gives up immunity, the fans play decently well and they show some level of competition. For example, if Eric goes on an immunity run there, we don't have Amanda and Parvati in the final two. Now let's look at Karamoan. Look at our favorites. I think Philip is entertaining, but he's controversial for sure. Corinne is entertaining, but she's controversial. Francesca deserves a second chance, but she's not really a favorite. I don't think Cochran was really a favorite. I think he was kind of seen as like somebody who flipped. And then you have who, I mean, obviously Malcolm and Andrea are great. I can't say enough about Malcolm and Andrea, but then you have Brandon Hans. Like these are not really favorites. And then the fans were some of the worst tribe in history. Again, like Zapatera, the fans in Caramoan are almost all forgettable and they put up no fight against the favorites. So I don't want to see fans versus favorites three. Yeah. I, this is one that I have to agree with. Um, Going from, you know, Micronesian season 16, where you actually had a legit great clash between the favorites, legit favorites, and fans, legit fans, amazing, made for a top five season ever. You fast forward 10 seasons later to Karamoan, and you get 
possibly five people that you could say were maybe favorites out of 10. And then you get fans who most of apparently were recruits. And it was clear that they were not diehard fans. Like they just, they were, they were pretty horrific in the game, to be honest. The only one that was respectable, I would say was probably Reynolds. And other than that, it was like, you had a few others that were decent, but other than that, not much at all. So I, I'm completely fine with not having a fans or his favorites three. If you're gonna if you're gonna have returnee seasons, then either do captains, which I still don't love, or just have every everybody be returnee. Yeah, sorry, I'm just laughing because I see Adam's comment. Every time I hear chat, I just laugh. I laugh. <laughs> and then Megan brings up a good point. Uh, obviously, the favorites are always going to win because the fans are just outclassed. I, I mentioned this back in one of our drafts, but Penner once said. You could be a fan of the Boston Red Sox, but you want to play against the Boston Red Sox. So, like, it, it's basically it's unfair, really. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's when you have somebody when you have a tribe that's all been out there already versus a tribe that has never been out there. It's just a huge mismatch. Like, maybe if they were going to do ten favorites and ten fans, maybe mix it up so that it's like five on each. Maybe that would work better. Um, but even so, I still think the favorites would band together on each tribe and outclass the fans. Like that's yeah. that's what's going to happen. Ultimately. And one last thing about Caramelo, because I, I don't remember your opinion on it. I, I'm kind of meh on Caramelo, and I feel like some people love it, some people don't like it. I think Caramelo has a really interesting post merge. Obviously, once you, they merge after Corinne gets voted out, and then you have the whole back and forth with the three amigos versus Cochran's uh, faction. And then obviously once the three amigos go out, you have Andrea and Brenda back to back. I think it's a good post merge, but I think it's one of the worst pre-merges in, in like, if you have to go back and rewatch it, it's one of the slowest pre-merges in history. Yeah. I'd probably rank Caramoan. It's, it's bottom, it's bottom. It, it's, it's bottom half. That's what I know. Yeah. That's it's, it's definitely not top half for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you on the original mm-hmm. fan favorites take. All right, my next hot take. All right, we're gonna go with an with an interesting one here that I don't think you agree with, but you would agree with the general statement of it. So, I think Survivor Season Thirty One Cambodia is a top three Survivor season ever. So the reason why it might not be as hot of a take is because there are definitely people who have it ranked in the top five, definitely people who have it ranked in the top seven. I'm gonna say it's top three. And the reason why I think that Cambodia is so great is when you, when you watch seasons, you look for great gameplay, check it off. Great gameplay, pretty much from a lot of people there. You look for the great winner story, which is a hundred percent Jeremy, like amazing winner, like playing for his family, like without the final tribal council, where he says, I did it for Val. I did it for Cameron, for Jordan, for the other one coming, um, kept it and you know, held in the whole season that his, that Val was pregnant. And he was going to have another kid. Just amazing story all around. And he played an amazing game. It had that check. Great underdog story. Wentworth. Check. Like, obviously, you know, she's one of the best underdogs ever. Did it have great moves? Multiple times. It had the Kelly Wentworth move where she blindsides, where she uses the idol blindside Savage, who is presumably in control of that, one of the people in control of of the majority alliance. She gets every single vote pretty much except for the other two she's aligned with. So it's a 9-3. She gets nine votes. She vetoes them all, votes at Savage. One of the most memorable moves of in Survivor history. So check that off. A first, which is a no-votes tribal council. That also happens where Jeremy and Kelly both play the idols. Zero votes in tribal council. A revote, and Kimmy ends up going home after 
multiple ties, discussions, a whole crazy thing where Jeff actually had to map out everything that happens in a picture on at the um in the finale. Yeah. So it had it had all that. And it also just like in general, like just lovable characters like your Keith's, like your Joe's. Just I, I just thought that the season was perfect. Like I, I I honestly do. And you know, that's that's why I have it a top three of all time. So yeah, I feel like that's uh kind of like lukewarm. I don't think it's that much of a hot take. I don't see anybody ever hating on Cambodia. No one ever says Cambodia is super, super overrated. Like I feel like people always love it, like figures versus villains. Um most people would put it in the top ten, and I would agree with that. I think it's in my top five, like you mentioned. I don't know where I would rank it, but it's definitely in the top five. So I don't think it's unfair to say it's top three. I think all the points you made were valid. Um yeah, I think that obviously the cast is great. The way they were voted in was great. The stories, the uh, second chance mantra. I, I mean, obviously an underreported thing about it that I also love is that almost all the challenges were taken from past seasons. It was kind of like an homage to Survivor. It was kind of like a ghost island where it was an homage to Survivor's history, which I can respect as a fan. So yeah, I, I think if you want to put a three, that's fine. Um I think I think a more hot take is if you if you had said to me I think winners at war is like number three I feel like that would have been more of a a hot take and I know that um that you and have talked about that in our finale podcast um when the season wrapped up because I think that one's a bit more controversial the fans are more split on winners at war but I think the fans are more unified behind Cambodia being a top ten season top five etc. Yeah, I mean I. I think that winners for me, winners at war, I, I would say is probably is for me, I think right now it's top three. It's also very fresh in my mind. So I would want to wait a little bit before like when, once all that wears off, you know what I mean? Like once recency bias wears off, I want to see where I rank it, but I do love winners at war personally, um, just mainly for the cast and for the throwbacks and for, you know, for all that stuff. I know that people bring up editing problems and stuff like that, but I would personally rank right now. I would rank winners of war in top three as well. So if people want to consider that hot, I'll say it. Yeah. Um, but Cambodia has aged like it's, it's been five years since that happened. So I feel like it's more appropriate to, to rank that in the top three still. And we'll see what mm-hmm. I think about winners of war in five years once it ages. So that's why I did Cambodia. Yeah. And Adam in the chat says, Kimmy was robbed most improved for sure. I mentioned that before. I tried making a pitch for Kimmy a few weeks ago and have called yeah. me, but um, no, I agree. Kimmy was other other than Wetmore most improved in Cambodia for sure. And one thing that was so special about Second Chance, like you did, like you said, they were voted in. And when we had Kelly Wentworth on the podcast, she was talking to us about how that literally motivated her every single day. Like she said, she could not be a disappointment to all the fans that voted her in. Like she realized that maybe she was somebody who as, as a pre-merge boot, she was somebody who maybe had no business being on that season, but the fans were willing to give her that second chance. And, you know, at the first immunity challenge, she has the clue to the idol and goes and gets the idol in, in the, in the middle of the challenge. And she says to us, if I was not voted in by the fans, like who knows what would happen there. She had, she like, but she knew she had to do it. She had to do it for the fans. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's why second chance works so well. And that's why I'd love to see a second one. Yeah. I think we'll get it eventually. I think you should, everyone should expect 41 whenever we get it to be all newbies, but I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we got it for 42 or 43. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Before we get to my next hot take, do we want to get to, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Jamon or Hamon's uh, comment in the chat about Jeremy versus Sarah? Should we save that for the end or get to it now? 
I have a take about Sarah, so I'll save. Th- I want yeah. you. To go, I want you to go first, and then I think we should just get to the fan takes at the end. But I'll try yeah. and weave in fan takes as we go. So, like, if if something like that intersects with what I'm about to say next, which does, then I'll put it up there. Okay. Yeah, we'll get to the comment eventually. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Because I have my own things to say about Sarah, just to um get in on the Sarah Brad debates. Okay. Yeah. So my next hot take is this number four. Yeah, this is number four. This is flying by, and then we still have all the fan takes to get to as well. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is another one of a, a hybrid. These are both my takes, but I'm kind of lumping two things together, depending on what you want to say. Stephen Fishback should have won token chains and or Fishback is a better player than JT. And I would stand firmly behind that. If you want to say JT versus Steven in token chains, that can we can debate that in a second. But I don't know anybody that could basically argue. I mean, granted, some people still love JT, so maybe they'll call that a hot take. But you compare Steven's next seasons to JT's next seasons and even the knowledge of the game, JT doesn't hold a candle to Steven Fishback. I think Steven, honestly um is one of the best runner-ups in survivor if not one of the maybe the best zero vote finalist i'm not counting counting michelle because michelle already won even though michelle was also a zero vote finalist um no but steven has a knowledge of the game um in the pre-merge of token chains one of the honestly one of the most unspoken things that happened and honestly i wonder if this broke exile island is steven and taj form a cross exile island alliance with Brendan and Sierra on um, Tim Vera. And we didn't see Exile Island for a long time after this. I think we saw it in San Juan del Sur when people were sent there for an idol clue, but we really didn't get like old school Exile Island again, because I think the players like Steven figured out along with Taj, that if we have to send one person from our, our tribe to exile, one person from their tribe, then we can just form a cross tribal alliance and we can be protect- protected by our alliance on our own tribe. And then when we get to the merge, we'll have members on the other tribe to protect us as well. And then we can vote whichever way we want to vote. And then we will run to the end together. And then Steven showing his strategic chops, he and Taj get a bad vibe from Brendan at the merge. And they say, you know what, let's just take him out and we'll keep building up our jolly pound numbers. So I think even though JT, listen, he played a strong physical game. Thank you, Aqua, for agreeing with me in the chat. Um, but I think Steven played a great physical game in Token Chains. I can't deny that, winning the last few challenges. Um, obviously, JT's a well-liked guy, so he played a good social game too. And I'll admit, Steven did not have the best final tribal council. He kind of didn't explain his game well enough. But I think he had the game sense. If he knew what he knew now, he could um, eloquently pitch his game to the jury and i feel like yeah jt was better physically and maybe socially but steven also was good socially and much better strategically and i just think overall he's a better player and maybe should have won token jeans yeah i think it's very interesting because i was scrolling on you know i alluded to reddit multiple times but i was scrolling Mm -hmm. on reddit yesterday and there was a poll i don't remember who was between but it said the player in survivor history who most who most hurt their reputation from their either second time or multiple times after. And it's got to be JT. I mean, the way he went out in Heroes, Villains, and Game Changers, both times were just so brutal. So I don't, I don't think – I mean, I, I think that it might be a hot take that you say, but it's one that I could get behind for sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, again, I know people will still defend JT's win. I think even Steven will defend JT's win. I think Steven is one of the biggest JT fanboys still out there, and I, and I love Steven Fishback. Um, but – I don't know how anybody could tell me looking at both of their resumes over survivor history that JT's better than Steven. I can make a million arguments, but we need to move on. The only point that I'll make that you can't dispute is that 
JT gets voted out, not with an idol in his pocket in Game Changers. He left the idol back at camp. He didn't even bring the idol with him to tribal because he was so confident he had the number. So that's all I'm going to say. Steven Fishback may have misplayed his advantage, but he would never leave an idol at camp. So that's all I'm going to say. You do have a good point. And then, you know, he did. He also gave the idol to Russell in uh, Heroes vs. Villains. Now, granted, he did not know who Russell was, and we all did. So it looks worse. But even so, I mean, you're get, you're you're giving it to the villains. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. All right. My fourth hot take. So it, it intertwines with one of the takes that we've got in the comments right now. Mm-hmm. For me, I think Sarah is a top five survivor player of all time. F is pulling his hair out <laughs> as we speak. So, oh my goodness. I'm a huge Jeremy fan, but I am disagreeing with this take right here. Okay. Uh, I probably have Jeremy I probably have Jeremy somewhere between seven and ten, so really not that far off at all. But maybe even six, honestly. Like honestly, maybe, maybe right after at six. But for me to, you know, explain Sarah here. So I think that the one knock you could have against her is that you know, she was the merge boot in her first season before, you know, coming in first in Game Changers and then coming in fourth in Winners at War. Um, but, you know, she's the perfect example. You know, you could say that about a lot of people. Jeremy lost first before he won. Um, a lot of players, you know, Boston Rob lost three times first before he ended up winning. So I, I know, I, and Parvati lost before she won also. So I think that great players have won before have won before i mean have lost before they have won but what have you learned from that first time that could allow you to adapt and there's nobody who's adapted better than sarah like i mean game changers game changers i don't care what hef says she 100 percent, a thousand percent deserved to win i mean she controlled pretty much the entire game um while a lot of the big names went out early you know that in the end it was a pretty stacked cast at least halfway stacked um but you know we can make we could save our game changer jokes for another time but um yeah i mean she she does end up on top of what's a really good cast in game changers and i think it winners at war like what we just saw is you know you didn't see it from her at like you didn't see her quote-unquote winners at it because she ended up coming in fourth and losing the fire making challenge to tony but tony has reaffirmed after the game that she was pretty much equally involved with everything they were doing she is arguably the best social game social player to ever play and what always stands out to me is the fact that if you look at Dalton ross's article before the game how many people held up that they wanted saragon first because she was the last female winner probably four or five of them so i think it's extremely impressive that she evaded that target pretty much as well as tony did and you know i think that Tony struck when he needed to strike, and that's the reason why he won the game. But her social game is absolutely unreal. Strategic game, absolutely unreal. And she, as another person who has never won an immunity challenge, which makes everything pretty impressive that she's never been safe at a, you know, she's never, well, I mean, she's never like, she never had the necklace around her individual immunity. So, look, I think Sarah, not only one of the best social players of all time, but I have her in the top five. And better than jeremy despite the fact that i love jeremy and still have him in the top 10 pretty easily yeah no this is this is really hard i mean i i respect and love both sarah and jeremy uh again i don't want to mispronounce your name jamon hamon um but no i um i agree i think they are both amazing players i think i would have to 
agree with Dylan that I think Sarah is a little bit better than Jeremy, but Jeremy's still amazing. No one should knock Jeremy Collins at all. Um, and it's even hard. Like I know you said, Dylan, you probably put, would put Jeremy in your seven to 10. I would need to really take a long, hard look at how I rank these players, because I think it comes down to obviously how you place, but also it's your game sense. It's like, how are you as a player? I don't care that Kim Spradlin went out in eighth place in Winners at War. Kim Spradlin is one of the most well-rounded players to ever play the game. She physically, strategically, socially, Kim, honestly, like if you put all these people in a vacuum or I love the whole Dr. Strange example of you play in a million universes, how many times do you win? Kim Spradlin wins a lot of the time. Kim, even with, I think, I think a better competition. I think Kim was on to Tony and that's why Tony got rid of her. But, um, no, I think that's going back to Sarah and Jeremy. They're both great players. Sarah, obviously, I think is one of the best female players. Um, I think I would still say Michelle's a better social player than Sarah is, but Sarah's still amazing. And so I do agree with Dylan. But just to get to, um, again, Game Changers again, listen, if Hef, you're listening out there, I'm going to give you a quick rundown about why you're wrong about uh, Culpepper versus Sarah really quickly. Um Look, Hef will say, and for the record, I prepared this whole speech before tonight, and Jordan's not here, and I feel like I need to say it. <laughs> I, I feel like I have to say it because I'm not going to go, go for it. Air it yeah. out right now. Do it. Listen, my opponent will say that Culpepper is better at challenges, winning five and being in an elite club of all men to win five challenges in a row, or not in a row in total. He will say Culpepper had a very strong pre-merge by convincing Ty to take out Caleb. And the Malcolm blindside, and he made some good relationships, and he was very well improved in Game Changers, like Kimmy and Wentworth in Second Chance. I think in Game Changers, Culpepper was one of the top five most improved players. But let's look at what Sarah Lucina did. Sarah, as Dylan mentioned, is an amazing social player, and Hef will say, you, "We never saw it on camera. I didn't see any example on camera of Sarah being a good social player. We saw it on Winners at War. I don't believe it." Okay, you look at all the post game interviews with Andrea, Zeke, Sari, Sierra. They all say Sarah was my best friend out there. Sarah was my best friend. She is super funny. She's super chill. We love her. And then you might say, well, listen, maybe they're kind of coloring their perspective because she's a winner. Let's look at some of the examples on Winners at War. The fashion show. The whole montage where Tyson and Sarah are bonding over how bad Tyson's breath smells. Sarah has these amazing social moments, that, which proves that she is so good at connecting with people. So Sarah Latina is an amazing social player. And now let's look at her strategic game versus Culpepper's. Sarah is the only person in Game Changers to vote correctly at every single tribal council. Listen, Hef will say Culpepper, you know, he's great. He does some great strategic things. Okay, well, he's left out of the Debbie vote out and he's left out of the Sierra vote out. And Sarah flips flops and votes correctly at every single tribal council, which I mentioned earlier if you are voting correctly every single tribal, that's the mark of an amazing player because you could have control. You maybe will lose an ally and you have to kind of backpedal. But if you're voting the correct way at every single tribal, it's a mark of playing an amazing game. And Sarah does that every single time. And I'm not even going to go even further into this, but the whole move where she blindsides her best friend, Sierra, to take her legacy advantage is brilliant, brilliantly played. And then the one of the most underspoken things, and then my argument's done, is that she basically gives the vote steal to Sari, knowing that at the bottom it says this is not transferable, gives it to Sari as a matter of trust. And when Sari tries to play that against her, Sarah's like, actually, no, you can't take that from me. So that was a measure of trust. That's a very underrated thing that Sarah did. And then she promptly votes out Sari's ally, Michaela. So 
I don't want to have to tell me that Brad Culpepper deserved to win game changers. He's a great player. He's a physical beast, but Sarah Lucina deserved that season hands down. Amazing, amazing speech right there. And I can't say that I agree. I, I, I mean, I, I, I can't say how much I agree with you. Like I, I agree with you so much and let's not forget that also on simple terms, she basically threw together the alliance of Sophie and Ben, and they were all so tight to the point where Ben was willing to give up his shot at $2 million so that Sarah would have a chance to win. And Sophie was pretty much so, you know, Sophie was ride or die with Sarah. And also, I don't know if you guys have watched Kim's deep dive with Rob Cesarino, but Kim felt like she had a very, very decent chance to be the third person in that or the fourth person in that Sophie Sarah Ben alliance. So I think that just the fact like that, that's that's it's so mind blowing Sarah's social yeah. game. Like it really is. It's, it's so good. And if she had won instead of Tony, nobody's complaining right now. Like she's, so, she's, she's great. I think, I think that she, I think she's earned her spot in the Ooh. top five in my opinion. And really quickly before we get to, um, was, am I next for the hot take? Or are you next? Yeah, you're you're next. But I do want to bring up this comment though, because this is actually a very hard question. Who had a better winning game? And this is so tough because I'll go back and rewatch some of the key moments. I don't think Sarah and or Jeremy were ever in danger in their winning seasons. I don't think Jeremy was ever really in danger in Cambodia unless a few different things go Kelly Wentworth's way. I mean, obviously you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dylan, but I feel like Jeremy was never really in any danger. Obviously well, he, avoided, he, he used the idol correctly to avoid him getting out, but so do I'm Wentworth. sorry. Yeah. Sorry. At the final six, he, that was really, that was the only time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was being targeted there, but other than that, he's never really in danger. And in game changers, I can't think of a time Sarah Lucina was ever on the hot seat. Um, granted, we don't know what was going to happen if advantage getting didn't happen, but I feel like Sarah was still good either way. Cause she was tight with, um, she was tight with Culpepper and Troyzan, and she had a legacy advantage. So I don't know who had a better winning game. I mean, Jeremy wins unanimously, but Sarah plays so well. That's a tough call there, but they both played really good winning games. Here's what I will say. Yeah. Prior to winners at war, I rank Jeremy higher. I think Jeremy okay. sli- slightly, slightly, slightly has a better winning game than Sarah. Okay. Um, I just felt like he was just more, and like like you said, he did win unanimously. I just felt like he was what he did to hide his what he did with the meat shield strategy. I just thought was just incredible, like very superior, right, um, to a lot of winning games, and you know, just a little bit better than Sarah. Like obviously, Sarah is a different type of player, um, but I think that winners at war, like Sarah, Sarah pretty much had her footing the entire time. Where Jeremy, I think, a, a lot of times were was a little bit lost, and you know. Obviously, like Jeremy did a great job to keep staying, keep staying, keep staying, despite being on the chopping block pretty much the entire merge um, up until when he got voted out. But solely because of winners at war, I moved Sarah just ahead of Jeremy. That's that's all. But I would say that Jeremy had slightly a better winning game. So, yeah, totally fair. All right. Your fifth hot take. So I wanted my last hot take to be a season. Like what's an underrated or what's an overrated Same season? With me. Same with me. So okay. we'll- so I actually feel, okay, I feel like you might have one of mine. So I, I'll let you end with that. Um, is it season 10 related? It's not season 10 related. Okay. Um, okay. So, you know, what I'm going to, oh, oh, it's probably season. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know what it is. Okay. Um, all right, so I'll leave that one for you for 
I believe you're going to say it's an underrated. I have, I have multiple, multiple seasons that I think are underrated. So that's my favorite. Okay. All right. So then I'll give mine and then you can give yours. So I think that I have four underrated seasons and I have two over overrated seasons. And I think one of my overrated seasons might be a hot take. Cause I know a few okay. people, the casual fans love it. I think underrated seasons are Marquesas, Gabon. So I'll say the numbers too. Marquesas four, Gabon 17, Guatemala 11. I think Guatemala is an extremely underrated season because no one has ever come back from that season besides Danny and Steph. I just think cast-wise, it was amazing. We mentioned this with with Redemption Island, that one of the flaws that I felt was that you knew what was going to happen. Guatemala, it was flip-flopping every week. You never knew who was going home, so it made for really exciting social dynamics. And I think that world's apart. I think season 30 is underrated. We can go more into that, but I think season 30 is a bit underrated. Problem is I think the cast overall is a little unlikable, which we also can go into, but I just think that yes, Brian Corden, I think is a definite underrated player. And thank you, Candela. I think uh, Guatemala is, is underrated. Um, Worlds apart. I think other than the cast being a little unlikable and some people might critique Mike's play at the auction. I think worlds apart is underrated overrated. I might get heat for this. I think Palau is a bit overrated. And I think Millennials versus Gen X is a little overrated. Now, here's here's the problem. I love Millennials versus Gen X. And maybe after seeing David versus Goliath, that kind of became my new favorite new player season. Here's my problem with Millennials versus Gen X. And I, I do still like it, but it I when I see people say, oh, it's top 10, I'm like, it's a little overrated to be top 10. I just think that, you know, again, one tribe is very memorable. You have obviously Adam, you have Taylor, you have Figgy, Michaela, um, Hannah, Zeke. You have memorable, memorable people, Jay. And then you look at the Gen X, and yeah, you have David Wright, you have Chris Hammonds, you have Brett, but then you have Lucy, you have Paul, you have Rachel, you have Cece, you have Sunday. It's it's kind of a mm, kind of bore. And I mean, Jessica Lewis is also great, but you have you kind of like a very dry cast like for half of the Gen X tribe, which is one problem. I also think that means the pre-merge of up until Michaela and Figgy's vote outs. I think the pre-merge in millennial Gen X is also kind of slow, to be honest. Um, and I hate to say it because I think Adam is just as big. Adam's probably bigger fans than we are, Dylan. But I just think the finale kind of ended on a whimper. I just feel like David Wright should have won the season, if not him, then Jay. And they just both were more entertaining players to watch. Um... I just feel like Adam is great. I mean, he's a, he's a fan like us, but I just feel like the season should have ended a bit different. And Adam, when we talk about playing a great winning game, Adam's a winner. And I, I like Adam. Adam had a really rocky winning game. Adam was in big trouble at the early stages of the merge when Michelle and Taylor go out where he's being targeted a lot by that side. And if Gen X flips on him, he's gone. So I just feel like millennials Gen X is really popular with the casual fans. But in hindsight, I feel like it's, maybe not as amazing on a rewatch. And I think Palau for a lot of reasons is also not as great on a rewatch. Interestingly enough, I agree with both of your overrated seasons. So, so to start with millennial gen X, like you just said, so I actually, so I haven't seen it since it, since it aired. So it's been, it's been some, a few years, but from what I think is that, and I know, I know a lot of people probably like it because the, the good, the good, like you said, and you gave it credit for this, the good players, the memorable players were very memorable. Like yeah. they were very good, but then there are a lot of players that are like, eh. And honestly, I, when I, when I was watching that season, I did not foresee an Adam win coming until maybe, 
maybe during the finale. Like, like on, like honestly, like I really thought it was a David Wright win or a Jay win. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel, I feel bad even saying this. Like, I, I don't think Adam winning makes the season any worse. I just think that like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know if it makes the season worse, but I, I think that it would have. Yeah. I, I guess you, I guess you could say it could. Um, cause like, I guess if David won, like maybe it'd be, maybe I would view it a, a little bit higher. If Jay won, I'd view it a little bit higher, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I think it had like, like you said, like it kind of like stumbled into the end, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then Palau. Yeah. I, I think this is, I've seen the season ranked in the top 10, like no way, like absolutely not. Like I, 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 I can't see it just because the, the pre-merge of that season, like some people say like, Oh, like. Well, it's the, you could look at it and say it's the only time that a tribe has been basically completely eliminated. Yes, but I don't I don't, like some people just th- like it because that was the first like time that's happened. People like enjoyed the underdog story of Steph and then Bobby John, but you can enjoy, like you like 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 me. You could enjoy that underdog story and still think it was not entertaining at all. Like I like the underdog story was entertaining. The episodes in general, I don't think were entertaining. Like I not enjoy just seeing Karor just destroy destroy Oolong. Like I, I did not enjoy that pre-merge. So I think it's an overrated overrated season mostly for the pre-merge, but I will say it was like obviously a very satisfying ending. Yes. No, obviously I think that that's why people love it because it's yeah. a satisfying ending. Tom Westman is obviously a very solid, well-rounded player. Um and it's important for the history books with Oolong's story. But yeah, it's just I think actually a common trend that we've brought up a lot today is the cast. I know whenever we rank seasons or we rank um, different elements of the show, it really does come down to how good is your cast. Because you could have great blindsides and gameplay, or you could have great locations. But if the players themselves aren't really fun to watch, it doesn't make for great television. And I just feel like with Palau, both... Karor and Oolong have some real big sleepers in their in their midst. Like when Dylan, when we rank seasons like Heroes versus Villains, Cambodia, um, David versus Goliath, some of our favorite seasons, Kagiyan, they all have amazing casts. Very few, if any, like bad picks on the board there. They're all amazing characters, all amazing to watch. But then when we get to some of these seasons that we're kind of overrating, like Palau and Millennials Gen X, or like obviously Redemption Island, or some of these other seasons you do have some sleeper picks there where it just does not make for entertaining TV. So that's why I think those are overrated. I think you could make an argument that to me, the only three entertaining players on Palau were Tom, Stephanie and um, Ian. Ian. And then I think that like, yeah, you could say Bobby John is obviously comes back in Guatemala, but yeah, I I just thought it was an underwhelming cast, but then like, obviously you have like three, three or four greats. So that's mm-hmm. why people love it ultimately. And it was a great winner. So, but yeah, I agree overrated for pre-merge purposes. Now I'll kind of, kind of funnel this all into my fifth hot take. Yeah. And I'll say that uh, partially I was partially my hot take was that worlds apart. Um, season 30 is an underrated season. I really like that season. Okay. Um, and then I think my other underrated season and I might, I might get, I might get hate for this. I think that season 38 is an underrated is I think it's an underrated season season 38 as well Edge of extinction. So there's a few, and I know we stressed the cast. So let's, I'll start with season 30 since we didn't talk about that yet. So season 30, I think it was an unlikable, but entertaining cast. Does that make sense? 
Yes. Yeah. It tra- train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> right. So like, I understand why people don't like, uh, I understand why people don't like a player like Dan. Very understandable. Um, first of all, he was just like, some of the things he said were ridiculous. Second of all, he's arguably one of the worst survivor players ever. Just like his strategic game made no sense at all. Like going in, he, he goes, he went, he jumped from the minority to the majority to the point where like he was going to be the next person voted out. It just didn't make any sense. Like, and it was for such a, and for such a dumb reason also like, yeah, Mike made a bad social move, but like play the game and stop harping on that one thing all the way through. But like, and you could say Rodney, some people like him, but some people hate him. Will people thought was controversial for obvious reasons. And he was, I can understand why people dislike those people. But when you get, when you get a cast of misfits, sometimes it's very entertaining and that's why I like worlds apart. And I also really, really, I like Mike Holloway a lot. I think he, to me, I, I don't know. He is a, we, we spoke about this, but if we were casting heroes versus villains, I think that one of the people that would be potentially on the cast, I know we didn't include him in the cast, but he could have been an honorable mention easily is Mike Holloway. I think he could be seen as a, vil, uh, a villain if you view it from the player's point of view, but from a fan, I see him as a hero, you know, like he was, it was almost like all these unlikable people were out to get him and he conquered them all. Like, I just, I think that he had his back against the wall and he won immunities and yeah, his social game may not have been as great. Um, as a lot of the other other winners. And I think that's a reason why some people may put him lower on the winner's list, but his strategic game is pretty solid. His physical game is obviously great. And I have a feeling that it, I would have liked to see Mike in winners at war. I don't know if we're just like throwing on hot, hot takes and stuff right now, but I think that if Mike was given a chance to play with players who respected the game more, then maybe his social game doesn't look as bad. Cause I think yeah. that maybe he makes one or two statements that people are just refusing. Like people are just, like refusing to work with him after that. And I'm like, come on, like it's survivor. Like he made one bad social move and like, he couldn't regain his footing. Cause these people just like shunned him pretty much the whole time. So I think it's underrated just because of Mike. And because I think it was just entertaining to watch people clash the whole time. And yeah. I like a player like Rodney, like would be a great villain to come back. But, uh, and then let me get to season 38 now. So season 38, I think the four returnees are great. Obviously Joe, Aubrey, Kelly, and David. I think Kelly and David did a pretty good job of getting the merge. Joe and Aubrey. Um, did Joe? Did Joe? Joe didn't. Get, Joe did not end up getting to the merge. Am I remembering this correctly? No, Joe was the merge boot. Merge boot. Okay, right. He lost immunity. Th- okay, right. So still, he didn't get that far. So unfortunately, Joe and Aubrey don't get as far in the game. But Kelly and David, they they got a little bit further. Um, I loved all the returnees. So that's the first part. Second, I thought the newbies were extremely good. And I know that because of who won the season, Chris Underwood, he only had, I believe, 13 days in the game before being kicked out mm-hmm. and uh, before being voted off and then comes back and you know plays a good end game and ends up winning. Uh, so I think that oh, that season gets a ton of hate because the edge of extinction, edge of extinction returnee ends up winning and he spent most of the game out. I agree. That was a horrible ending to a season that I thought was very, very, that had a very, very good cast. So I'll go through it. I think that first of all, excluding return, excluding the four returnees. So I think that it's possible that all four of those people could return at some point down the line. Like, honestly, like survivor loves all of them. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. You think, okay. I think that all four of them have a shot to return. I'm not saying, obviously like, I'm not saying a huge chance. They have a shot to return. 
excluding them. So the it was 20 people that season, correct? Or 18? 18. I think 18, 18, 18 yeah. It was three tribes, right. Okay, so four attorneys, so 18. So 14. Out of the 14 newbies, I think that three or four of them are guaranteed to return. And that's my prediction from this cast. That's why I think that it's an underrated cast, underrated season. I think Devin's is a lock to return. I think that if you, I think Victoria has it, you know, we have, we have a comment here. I think Victoria is somebody who survivor fans love. I think she has a decent chance to come back. I think that war dog has a decent chance to come back. And I think that Lauren has a decent chance to come back. So I think that, three or four of those players could very much end up coming back, whether it's second chances or here's there's villains or a, mm-hmm. some kind of returnee season. I think we see a lot of those return returnees back. And then I'm not even mentioning Chris Underwood. I would love to see him get a chance at redemption. Like people, people don't give him respect because he came back from edge of extinction. Well, let's see it's thrown back out there. And we have even people seeing saying, you know, if Gavin won people, we, we have this comment from Aqua here. I think that if Lauren, Victoria, and even Gavin won in the Edge of Extinction finale, the season would be top 10. I don't know if it would be top 10, but I think it would be a lot higher because I think that, you know, it flies down the list because of the winner. So, wait, I'm sorry. If you think if they won, it would be what? This comment right here it says it would be a top 10 season. If oh, won. I think that's, a, I think it's a little bit high, but I still think it's underrated because a lot of people rank it at the bottom. Oh, because of the winner. So bottom line, very underrated season in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do agree about the cast. I think it's actually really great. I think other than Keith and Wendy, um, Manu is a great, is a pretty well-rounded cast of characters. You have Reem, you have Chris, you have War Dog, you have Lauren, Kelly, David, Rick Devins. It's a really entertaining group of people on Manu. Lesu is interesting as well. I mean, obviously you have Ron Clark, you have Victoria, you have uh, Gavin, you have, I mean, Eric's okay. I mean, Julia's okay. Um, Julia, Julie's okay. But um, I think it's a great group of people. So I I don't want to knock the casting. I think it would have been much more exciting if it was a non EOE season. And I feel like, again, maybe it's coloring my perspective, but I just think EOE really ruined the season, especially with the ending um oh that is some thunder outside <laughs> i don't know if you can hear that through my screen but um no, uh who mentioned it um let's see um uh who said it i just i just saw it um Vinny, who said it oh yeah survivor iceland sorry all, all, the, the, all the green icons confuse me survivor iceland said that crisp torpedoed lauren or victoria's win I, I feel like that was so unfair to victoria just how she was playing such a great under the radar game and no one really was threatened by her, but she was really the biggest threat out there. And she just got destroyed when Chris came back with that information and Lauren kind of got talked into giving Chris the idol. Cause he was like, you know, you need to make a big move. Kelly thinks you, sh- you should make a big move and he kind of makes her give it to him. So I don't know. I just feel like EOE really taints the season there. Um, also, I mean, I, I feel like I'm the kind of fan where if Hef is, I'm all the way new school fan and one of my other best friends is all the way old school. I'm kind of in the middle where I see both the old and the new. I think it's a entertaining season, but I don't love how everybody feels like they need to make big moves and they're not doing what's in their best self-interest. Like voting out Kelly is not in war dog's best interest and he goes next. So I think I, I do see their point where it would be a better season without EOE. And if someone else won, but I still feel like, it just, it couldn't be in the conversation for a top half season. 
Yeah, I don't know if I would put it in a conversation for top half, but we I've seen I've seen I mean I people rank it in the high twenties in the really? low 30, in the low thirties. High by high twenties, I mean like 28, 29. Okay. Uh, like and then or like in the thirties, right? So let's just say like bottom twelve season. Okay. I think that there's an argument for it to be better than that. That's that's what I'm saying from an underrated standpoint, and strictly because I think the cast is very underrated. I think we'll see a lot of them back, and I think that somebody like Devins or Lauren or Victoria, they have a chance to put themselves in a. I'm, I'm not going to say legends, obviously, but I'm going to say very, very memorable, good player. If they return for a second time, they could really cement their legacy. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now that we have finished our five hot takes each, it took it took a little bit of time, but we had some great. Fun, I enjoyed it. We, yeah, we had some great conversations. I would love to read some of the fan takes that we got on Twitter, and as we're reading these, be sure to flood the comments with your hot takes. Yeah. We'll showing them as well. So let's get right to it, Ryan. You have Listen, some. I have time for more hot takes as long yeah. as I don't have power. So let's go through that. Yeah. Oh. Is very can you still hear me? Yeah, your screen went black. Is what is going on here? As I just said that I um I could have lost power. Um yeah, that's you, funny. <laughs> you lost power? I mean I, I'm on I I'm on the internet right now. I might go out of the internet soon. Um but my yeah my lights just went out. <laughs> so that's that's ironic. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Could you any way you could join the stream from the, from your phone? Let me see if I can try. There you go. Okay. All right, all right. This, 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 is, back. <laughs> this is half right now because we uh, insulted Brad Culpepper. He's, he's <laughs> outside. All right, let's get to okay. the t- let's get to the tweets before powers start going out again. <laughs> okay. Um. So I'm gonna pull up some from Twitter. You said, yeah. Let's see. Somebody on Twitter, and I'll mention their um, name just so they get full credits. Let's see. We have – who did we not mention yet? Let's see. Oh, Nate Allen at Tweets by Nate says, Ozzy was incredibly overrated. Love him to death, but are we sure he was that good? Okay, Ozzy, overrated, properly rated, underrated. What do you think? I – like what? Like what? Like where would he think that Ozzy is rated? That he's saying incredibly overrated? Because I think I, 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 I think I think I, I, a perfect example of this is if you go back to last week where Hef says on his Mount Rushmore of Survivor, the best to never win, Ozzy's on there. I mean, Ozzy no, obviously is a great challenge no contender. No, exactly, way. exactly. No way. no way. I agree. Yeah. So I mean, I think that me and you would properly rate him. Like I don't. Would he be on a legend season? Probably not. Um, but could he could be considered a legend, like probably borderline, like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that he's on the borderline, like he's one of the original great physical players challenge beast is his strategy that great. Honestly, probably not. Like if he had won season 23, it would have been because he'd won challenges on redemption Island, fought his way back in, made good relationships and like, yeah. So I think I, I haven't properly rated. I would say he's probably probably what top 40 yeah i, I mean it's, it's it's fair and I, I feel like it's so tough because if if one more vote goes his way he wins cook islands he only loses to yule by one vote and then if he beats sophie in that final challenge he wins south pacific so ozzy's a fine player but i think when you have people like hef or other people saying oh he's the best to never win or he's amazing i think ozzy could easily come back and win i think they are overrating ozzy in that sense 
Right. And I, I didn't even mention Cook Islands. You mentioned Cook Islands. I mentioned South Pacific. And then going back to Game Changers when he played most recently, like he was, he did not get a lot of airtime compared to the other seasons. Like mm-hmm. he, he wasn't much of a factor at all. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, next comment on Twitter, we have, ooh, this is going to be kind of close to, cl- kind of cl- close and personal to us. Calgary fan at Ogie488 says, Russell Hans is a top five survivor player of all time, should have won his first two seasons. So I will agree with half of that uh, really quickly. I agree that. <laughs> There's his <laughs> number. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, really quickly. I think he should have won Samoa. I agree with that. Ogie, a Calgary fan, I think he definitely should have won Samoa. Heroes versus Villains, I think he played a very strong game, but lacked that social element. And I think Parvati should have won that season instead of Sandra or Russell. Um, and then because of that, I would not say he's a top five player. I think Russell is great. Obviously, he was we were on his podcast. I think Russell is great strategically, and he knows the game very well. But I think because of that social element that he could add to his game. I can't say he's a top five player. He's a great player, but not top five. I would probably rank Russell in the top 15, uh, but I would not say top five. And I think a reason because I read uh, the reason for that is because of that social game. Um, Should he have won season 19? Yes. Should he have won season 20? There's a case, but because of social reasons and somebody who was sitting next to him, that two people sitting next to him that played solid games, I think that there's a case that he should not have won that season. So I would have been fine with Parvati winning that season. Sandra, eh, we could debate that another time. We've debated it before. But yeah, um, he deserved to win at least once. And then season 22, he had such a huge target on his back that he couldn't even avoid it. But I would love to see Russell play again. So we'll have to see. Oded Hellman at Oded Hellman on Twitter says Amanda Kimmel is easily a top five player. She could have won twice and she could have been considered one of the greatest of all times, if not the greatest of all time. And she still holds the most records for most days in a row without being voted out. Um, yeah. Again, I think Amanda Kimmel's great. Like I said, I would need to take a long time just to really rank players. Cause that's so hard to rank them all, especially in the top 10. But I think Amanda Kimmel is great. Obviously Russell talks about how, much of a threat she is and how she could have won some of her seasons. And she was a big player in here's versus villains. So I don't know if I would say Amanda is top five, because again, she lacks that instinct to get the win at the end there. Cause she doesn't own the game in China or Micronesia. But I think Amanda is great. If you're going to rank top 10, top 15 female players of all time, Amanda is easily in that conversation. Top five player of all time. Definitely not legend would definitely like to see her back. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I bring her, bring her back. Simple as that. Okay. Um, let's see really quickly next. And let me know whenever we should stop going from Twitter and go back to these comments on yeah. the live chats. Um, let's see. I, I like how we're doing this right now. We're doing like quick hits. You know what I mean? We'll yeah. Get- well, I'm doing quick hits mainly because I don't want to lose power again, yeah. but I think it also just adds to the quick nature of this. Yeah. Um, um, there's a couple of different Sandra takes. I feel like we talked about Sandra a lot, especially with half. So I don't want to go into all the Sandra opinions, but you either love Sandra or you think she's overrated. It's one of the two. I like Sandra. That's my opinion. Um, let's see really quickly. What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? Ooh, Dylan. Somebody says Pearl Islands is one of the most overrated seasons of all time. Uh Oh, I think that's, that's controversial. Horrible take. Brutal <laughs> take. 
It is a hot take though. So I give you credit for commenting it. Yeah. I, I love Pearl islands. I think it was a new school season way, way, way before it's time. Like, honestly, like it had, a you know, it even, it even had the bizarre, tw- it even, even, it even had the bizarre twist to give it that new school feel with mm-hmm. the outcasts. Um, but yeah, I think you get so much legendary personalities on that season as well between Rupert, Fairplay, Sandra. I really do think it is a new school season that's in an old school era. So I think that yeah. so ahead of its time. Ooh, this <laughs> speaking of Caramon and Philip, Tubby Lunchbox at Tubby Lunchbox 26, as Corinne once calls Philip. Um, three takes all in one. One of them we mentioned already. He says Millennials versus Gen X is an average season at best, which we kind of talked about. Karishma played a really great game in Island of the Idols. I would need to think about that. I need to, I kind of put Islands of the Idols out of my mind. For yeah, I, I would, I would not agree with that, but I would have to look at it deeper to before. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think maybe she's not as bad as people said, but I would need to go back and look. And Colby, James and Ozzy are not interesting characters. Wow. Ooh, that's, that's hot. Take. <laughs> that's hot. Um, there's I can't agree with it. I mean, I'm re, I'm no. re, uh, I'm, I'm watching China right now. First episode, you have James being asked, "What do you do for a living?" And he just looks at looks at. I believe it was Leslie, and he's like, "I bury people." I bury people. I yeah. mean, come on. I mean, the guy, the guy's on unbe- the guy's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I I can't see how you say James is not entertaining or interesting. Maybe you could say Ozzy and Ozzy and Colby are more. I mean, Colby's a legend, but maybe you say Ozzy's more of just, just a challenge competitor. He's not that interesting at camp. But no, James Clements is one of the most funniest players in Survivor yeah. history. And that's a hot, hot take. I can't agree with it. <laughs> uh, any? Let's see. Any more opinions? Uh, let's see. Ooh, Monica Culpepper. Oh, this is from Andrew Heffler. Uh, although I think this is just on purpose. Uh, Monica Culpepper is better at Survivor than Brad Culpepper. Um, that's hard because, like I mentioned before ironically husband and wife place both on the same days for when they play the game they both get loaded out on day 14 and then they both make it to day 39 i think they're both great in their own right i don't know who i would say is better i think i i guess just from their second showing brad is maybe a little bit better than monica but that's just my opinion yeah i probably rank brad slightly higher um yeah. but i think it's probably closer than a lot of people would think um Mike Amiri at Jarvis1928 says, Hot Take Rob is so overrated. People act like he's like the, um, the god of Survivor. I, I did talk about the to the guys about this off the podcast. Obviously, Boston Rob is a legend, but maybe a little overrated. I feel like after some of his other showings, you can't say top three. Obviously, I think you could say top 10, but maybe not as high as he once was. Is that hot or no? I don't think it's hot, a hot take because realistically he's played five times. He's won once with one of the most dominating games ever. But like you said, he didn't play with a great cast. Mm-hmm. Personally, I have him in my top five um, for a lot of reasons. Like I just yeah. think he's, just, he's Boston Rob. But uh, if you did not want to call him top five, I would understand it. Okay. That's fair. I've come, I've come, I, I was very anti that and I've come more around to it lately. Gotcha. Uh, I'll just read one more comment in the Twitter. Uh, let's see. Ooh, somebody says, Austin says on Twitter, ooh, everyone's going to hate me for this. I don't like Heroes versus Villains. I don't like how the heroes pretty much rolled over and died, and it was kind of boring. Um, that's a hot take. I, I, I guess the only 
to play devil's advocate, the only part that I could maybe see what he's saying is that after JT gets voted out and blindsided, it kind of goes like uh, Candace and then Danielle. Then yeah. Amanda and Ra- it, it, it does get a little bit more predictable, but I think it's just still so entertaining in terms of the characters, Russell blindsiding Danielle and then Rupert trying to bluff with a rock in his pocket. I think it, you can't knock heroes versus villains, but I, I see what he's trying to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have Heroes Villains ranked number one, so it's I, my I, number think, one or I two, think I think so. a lot of people do. Um, so I I can't agree with that, but uh, I agree that the post merge, yeah, it, I mean, it got a little bit slower than the pre merge. Okay, so I don't have any more hot takes from uh, Twitter, but Candela in the comments mentioned a hot take from Debbie Warner when Debbie is asked by uh, Entertainment Tonight or whatever when they're getting interviewed pregame. They asked all the players who does not deserve to be here, and she says Sari. And I almost wanted to jump through that screen and, and say to Debbie, like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> Saying that Sari Fields does not deserve to be on Game Changers. I feel like I feel like the Debbie, like the the Debbie clip right now, where she's like, "And I'm pissed." That's that's us right yeah. now. Also, <laughs> I know we off the, off the podcast, but we talked about Haley Ford, and I know you're you're not a fan of Haley Ford and how she shouldn't have been on Game Changers, and I agree. Haley Ford actually low key has some. I feel like good game sense. Obviously, I don't think she's obviously amazing for obvious reasons, but I feel like Dylan, do you remember in those pre-merge questions, they, they ask who doesn't deserve, deserve to be there. Do you know who she said? Did she say herself? She said me. So yeah. you know what? I give her, I give her credit for that. Interesting. Interestingly enough, when Troy Zan was on a podcast with Russell a few weeks ago, he said that one of the most, one of the play, like Russell estimates or some, either one of the fans or Russell, they said, who is somebody that you've played with that nobody would think is good. That is good. And he said, Hallie. Yeah. I don't think she should have been on game changers, but like, I feel like she's not horrible. She, she's fine. She's fine. Yeah. I, I agree. All right. Do we have any other hot takes? Oh, here's one from Aqua. So we have hot take a runner up season would be more interesting to see than a legend season. I don't want to. These are these could be two casting drafts that we do in the future. Definitely, definitely, legends maybe runner up. So I do not want to spoil who we would have on those seasons. But interesting. We'll have to jump back to that once we actually cast both. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. I think that, like you mentioned, legends will do a casting draft eventually, and that's going to be people that everybody agrees across the board. They're legends, not like game changers. These are all people that we can agree on. They are legends. So that would be fun to watch for that reason. But I feel like when everyone's mentioning Victoria and people who you want to see back because they deserve another chance to play, I think runner-ups could be very interesting given the group of people that you have to play with. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So any last good hot takes before we get into what we're doing next week? I don't see any more hot takes. Well, but I thought this was great. Yeah, I mean, if you if you have any other opinions on anything that's been said, um, you know, it's it's on it's on a uh, before we'll let we'll let people take the time to get get some comments in here before we completely end it. So, anything else you want to say from me? Yeah, any anything anything else just in general? No, I thought this was great. Um, like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I thought that. It was nice to take a quick break from the drafts and explore another element of Survivor, which is the hot takes and the opinions that we have as fans. And I feel like if there's enough 
um, fan desire for it in the comments, either here or on Twitter. If people want to see us do another hot takes or a different discussion type podcast or rank different things, let us know. We'll be happy to come back and explore it. Yes. If you think about any hot takes that we left out or you, you forgot to comment later, be sure to comment on this video. Uh, be sure. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. As I'm promoting us right here, we have Hot Takes, Soul Survivor Pod, greater than any other Survivor podcast out there. Absolutely. The hottest take of the night, Zade. The you hottest take of the night. Absolutely, absolutely love you to win. see that. We love it. We love it. Thank you, Zade. Okay. But back to what I was saying. Yeah, if you have any hot takes that you forgot to comment or that pop into your brain later, be sure to comment this comment on the video with that, and we will look at it. Be sure to tweet it at us if you want. Um, also be sure to like this video, be sure to subscribe to us. It really helps us. And now to get to what we are doing next week, we are having a special guest on. It is not a former survivor contestant, but it is a former, um, casting worker for CBS. Uh, her name is Lenny Weisberg and she has worked with CBS casting before with survivor. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick her brain on how the survivor casting process works what she did behind the scenes and you know obviously i'll put on twitter um another thing where you could where you could uh comment and question you know you could question and you could uh basically fill out a forum and questions for lenny and any any casting questions you have in general just like be free to tweet at us and we'll ask her next week and maybe i'll maybe i'll maybe i'll even start a google form or something like that if we get questions in there or you could just tweet at us like this week so yeah, um, that is what we're doing next week. Next week, we're kind of going to go jump right back into casting and talk about what goes into that. And then we'll probably go and follow it up with casting drafts again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what we have coming up next. Yeah, uh, very exciting. And hopefully we get some more positive Survivor news soon, despite the hopefully. negative news today. Um, but otherwise, you know, we're just going to have to stretch out casting drafts or hot takes all the way until uh, when the season starts. So looking yeah. forward to the rest of the off season, looking forward to it. Hot takes, um, casting drafts, rankings, discussions, you name it. We got it. All right. See you guys. Thank you See for you guys. listening.